This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports at Night is right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Going deep into the night here with you. Curtis Rogers and Stacy Rost in. Jake Heaps, he's on vacation this week. I do believe. Again, did not take us with him. Yeah, what's that this all about? This is the second time yeah. in two months. We are able to travel. I pack lightly. Literally, I got a suitcase for Christmas, and I've only used it once. Oh, well, I mean, that's a pretty... Like, that's a bummer not being able to use that yeah. gift. Because when you get a gift like that, or like a backpack, or, or something that involves travel, and you don't get to use it, it's like... Why, it's, why bother? It's one of those gifts that reminds you of your own failure as a person when someone's like, oh my gosh, I got you this briefcase or this ballpoint pen for all like this stuff you're doing at work. And you're like, thank you so much. I stare at Twitter for eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, oh, I appreciate this, yeah, but I, this is, I won't get much use that, out of it. Thank you so much for this gift. Um, I will hand out these business cards to no one. <laughs> but we have them. Yeah. They're, I have a suitcase. The business card, the the box of business cards can be used as a paperweight. Here's what I can say, and we'll get into it later. If you've been to Europe, you're lucky. My suitcase hasn't been there yet. Ooh. And nor have I. Have you stamped your passport? Yeah, I've been to Mexico and Canada. Okay, so you've gone international. Yes, but I didn't until I was 22. And I went to Canada for the first time last year. Really? Yeah. I've always find it weird when there are people our age that haven't traveled internationally yet really yeah well i mean if you if your parents didn't no but like i mean canada is so close oh you okay Just so I thought, I thought in my mind see. i heard like to abroad no no like, no not like to... haven't even left the country i think the canada one is more surprising yeah with it being we're in Washington so close State. yeah I'm although glad we figured this out. when i was in college i lived 50 miles from the mexican border Never once did I cross there. They also they kind of told us at freshman orientation, like, stay away from there as they much as possible. They told us the same thing. The Mexican border. Yeah, really? yeah. yeah, yeah. I was oh, like, whoa, like, this is not okay. It's like a three-hour no. flight. Like, why, <laughs> why, why worry about Why would you tell me that? But yeah. okay. <laughs> oh, Seattle sports at night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you haven't heard by now, I, I would imagine you've, Lived elsewhere for the last, what, five, six, seven days. The Russell Wilson negotiations, which are now, what, six days away? Less yeah, than a week away. coincide with the Game of Thrones premiere. And Tax Day. And Tax Day. More closely with Tax Day. Yeah. Same day. I think if you're more concerned about the Russell Wilson negotiations than Tax Day, if you haven't filed your taxes yet, that's concerning. If you haven't filed your taxes yet, what are you doing? Exactly. You get... Free you get money, money back, Yo, dude. you get stacks <laughs> if you fill it out correctly and they don't audit you. <laughs> like, like that, that is a very key point to make here. Right. But, like, get that money back in your pocket. I can't emphasize that enough. But uh, somebody who's about to get a lot of money in his pocket, maybe, is Russell Wilson. If the Seahawks do, in fact, reach an agreement with him before that April 15th deadline. But... Also, quarterbacks around the league have kind of been put under the microscope in a way, I feel like unlike any other offseason, where players who aren't quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. guys who have played other skill positions, wide receivers 
to be most specific here, at least in, in a couple of instances we've seen this offseason, have been pretty vocal about the differential treatment that these top-flight franchise-level quarterbacks have been getting or have been perceived to have getting. Aaron Rodgers, as we read in the Bleacher Report piece last week, uh, he was pointed out by Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley, two guys who played a big role in those very successful Green Bay Packers teams. And then Antonio Brown, who has sounded off every moment he could this offseason, him taking shots at Ben Roethlisberger and how the Steelers organization is structured. And then we saw it last offseason with the Sports Illustrated piece by Greg Bishop in which unnamed Seahawks, but you could kind of tell who it was based off the context clues, Richard Sherman, who, yeah, very subtle. Like the B in subtle. Yeah. Very subtle. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Anyways. Anyway, but you could read in that piece where guys felt as though Russell Wilson was getting differential treatment from Pete Carroll and John Schneider and those in positions of power in the Seahawks organization. My question to you, Stacey, is why should we be surprised about quarterbacks receiving differential treatment? Why has it taken until now, in 2019, for players who may not be getting paid as much as these guys to kind of vocalize their discontent with all of this? I don't know if it's... I don't think it's surprising to players. I think that uh, it's something that the quarterback has always been that, not like a mid-level management, that's a bad way to describe it, but it's the job of the GM and head coach and success of the team are most, if it's tied to any position, it's quarterback. Players know that, front offices know that, and and so decisions are made around that position. And when you find a franchise quarterback, you usually bend over backwards trying to keep that person in town. I think that more so than anything else, the public conversation around it has changed and the way that we consume sports has changed. So if I'm a player on a team in 1985 um, and and players don't have a brand that they promote, like there is no Russell Wilson as he is now in, in the 80s. There's no Richard Sherman even, like the way Antonio Brown, the way that players can have like a, a brand, an image, a public persona um and be celebrities they were larger than life if you're if you're an athlete in in the 80s 90s and before then obviously but it was just different social media wasn't a thing the internet wasn't a thing um and celebrity culture wasn't a thing so i wonder sometimes if part of the uh i don't want to say turmoil part of the conflict that is reported Uh, between quarterbacks and their teammates or between quarterbacks and their coaches, most especially their teammates in this case, is is when that public-facing persona is different from the one that is in the locker room. So, for instance, with the Aaron Rodgers piece, whatever credibility or not that article has – and I'm sure this is information that the writer really did get from from speaking with people. I don't think it's just, like, made-up stuff. But – it's it's the perception of Aaron Rodgers as as a perfect person versus people feeling like they're getting the blame. And as far as positions, I think you would hear that from someone like a wide receiver because your career is most closely tied to that player. You know, your numbers, your stats, your success is is most closely tied to that quarterback. And it is rare that a fan or even an analyst can look at a play and see where exactly it breaks down 
And it's just, it's usually going to be pinned on you. Like it's fair or not. So again, I think that it's really just kind of the way that that relationship is in itself. And then, and then the way that quarterbacks have more control over their persona to people and, and how that doesn't always sit well with players. I kind of view the quarterback front office relationship in the same way like if you're dating and you find somebody who you really like want to keep around and you've got a good thing going and the wide receivers are like your friends that were there before you started dating this person and now all of a sudden you don't get to spend you know every Friday night and Saturday night with your friends and they're like what the heck man like what are we am I not a priority anymore and it's like well I got a good thing going right here yeah. and you're over there at 1 a.m. saying, hey, guys, guys, we get a tattoo. I'm going to get a tattoo. You don't want to be there like, for that? No, I don't want to be there for that. <laughs> I want to be watching Netflix, like, under a blanket. Like, that's what I want to be doing. And I, I view these kinds of quarterback front office relationships like that, where these front offices are going to bend over backwards and do whatever it takes to keep these good things going. Like it, like Aaron Rodgers' personality or not, or like Ben Roethlisberger's personality or not, you can't knock the amount of success that they've had in the NFL. Like These are two Hall of Fame locks, and I think you could put Russell Wilson in that category as well as a Hall of Fame lock. Like Teams are going to do whatever it takes to keep a good thing going. We saw that with John Schneider and Pete Carroll paying as many guys on the Seahawks' defense as they did because they wanted to keep that Legion of Boom going for as long as possible. Mm-hmm may have backfired at the end because they weren't able to sort of restock the cupboard and really sort of reset the roster and continue the success with younger guys. But the Seahawks are, they're not a dumb organization when it comes to recognizing guys who need to get paid. Uh, We've seen it time and time again. Most guys who have come through here have gotten that second paycheck. The only two that I can't think of or, or haven't, you know, gotten a paycheck beyond their rookie contract is Golden Tate and Bruce Irvin. What about Russell Okung? Yeah, Russell Okung also, yeah, as well. So those three guys. But how many of those guys would have made the difference between a Super Bowl team and a division winner? None. I think you could say that the Seahawks didn't really skip a beat without Golden Tate. Yeah, I think the closest one would be Golden Tate, but I think you lucked out in that Doug Baldwin then had his most productive careers. And they were able to find Tyler Lockett. Exactly. I think if you didn't have Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett would have to then, as a rookie and second-year player, carry the offense by himself. You would have been in a lot more trouble, Yeah, I think, then. But I don't think you're wrong. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you, but yeah. It is my birthday. Well, the last few minutes of my birthday, because we're on at the crack right. of dawn here. You don't stretch your birthday out. I go like a whole week or two. So I celebrated yesterday on the 8th. I also celebrated a little bit on Saturday, the 6th. Sunday, it's Lord's Day. Right. Got to rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know if the festivities will continue. I mean, it's... It gets pretty exhausting after a while. And yep. me being in my advanced years, I, I can't rage like I used to. Yes. I have I have a rule book that I need to give you now for being in your late twenties. Oh yeah, yeah. And all the things you can't do anymore. Just sit me down. Well, one of them being late night tattoo runs at one AM. Yes, that's number one. Okay, good. And number two is changing the font on Twitter. 
Okay, yeah. Like I really wanted no. that feature. Mm-mm. You can't have you no, can't anymore. I can't be fun no. anymore. Mm-mm. That's reserved for the young twenties. Oh man. I know. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Yep. Sorry. I I'm not ready for We this. really derailed this conversation. We really did. <laughs> we really did. How about we pick it back up okay. after the break? Also, when can you start complaining about your team after a title? Complaining is something we is all it love the to next do. day? Or is it years down the road? Mariners, they might, uh, they're getting sort of the brunt end of these complaints by Kansas City Royals fans, of all people. Yeah. So we'll get into some of those complaints. Uh, so, well, yeah, when can you start complaining about your team after a title? The Coors Light text line's there for you, 710-710. That's next. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Ross, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports at Night. Make sure you get those texts in about a half hour from now. It's time for you to ask us anything right here on Seattle Sports at Night. Curtis Rogers and Seahawks insider Stacey Rost here with you. For the next 45 minutes following the Mariners game tonight. And, and Stacy, before the break, we asked the question, when can you start complaining about your team after winning a title? Mm-hmm. Which, I got to be honest, I think winning a title gives fan bases a multi-year buffer. Yeah. Where you, you cannot levy an actual complaint about the organization because you can still bask in the glow of winning a title, whether it be a Super Bowl, uh, an NBA Finals, a World Series, a Stanley Cup, a national championship as well in basketball. I don't want to hear it from Virginia fans over the next couple of years. Nope. Yeah, your offense is painful to watch, but you know what? You just cut down a net, so I don't want to hear it. Yeah. So when can fan bases start complaining after a title uh, has been won in that city. Well, Stacy, last night when you were watching the Mariners bludgeon Kansas City in that sixth inning, putting eight it was runs graphic. up. Yeah, it was uh, and a very NSFW. For sure. And you happened to find yourself on some Kansas City Royals message boards just to kind of see I think how initially, things were going. Yes, and I think initially it was because when we were – Coming up with some random ideas from for uh, a show during the home opener, um, we we thought of going into some Red Sox message boards, but but there weren't really like a lot of funny ones. Um, and then the Kansas City Royals, there were some really funny ones. Yeah, I think it's because it was more of a self-deprecating humor in there, just because yeah. the team is really struggling. Yeah, we got a uh, from. User named Casey Stangle Sr. They say Vogelback full of steroids. Barry Bonds Jr. Just look at him. And then Royal Chief 65 replies, sure looks suspicious to me. Uh, and then someone goes, switched over to the Brewers Angels game, but the Angels announcer just used the word irregardless. So I'm back to the <laughs> that KC one was massacre. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. We got people who want correct grammar. Yeah. Shout out to them. I yeah. mean, me saying that kind of. You know, as, as ironic as I butcher the English language every night. It's okay. See how sports tonight, but yeah, uh, Mariners look like Royd Nation to me. Wait until half the team flunks drug tests, uh, but then you've got this fellow named Phil of the North. I haven't followed them closely, but their home run numbers are ridiculous. <laughs> Very astute observation. Uh, half their lineup looks like cousins of Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire. What? Big guys. 
Wow. I think that the the conversations were split between thinking the Mariners need to be tested uh, for steroids, and then the second half of the comments were all, we suck, fire everyone. Yeah, there was one uh, about Dayton Moore, who is the Royals GM, and it says, let's see here, got to bring it up. It says, hey, Ned, hey, Dayton, it doesn't matter who starts on Wednesday, <laughs> no one cares anymore. <laughs> to have that feeling this early on in yeah. the season oh, about your sucks. team, I mean, it's... There was another one I didn't send that was like, you guys, we have a lot of things to look forward to. One, the draft. Yeah. <laughs> but they were serious. Yeah, Kansas City like, Chiefs I love out. this. And the thing is, it's... um. I, it wasn't like a mean kind of hating on people because I I was laughing at a lot of these comments and I, I don't think these were comments like they were laughing at them. It was kind of making fun of yourself moment. And um, I mostly I mostly hate read comments, but I can't help doing it during events because sometimes people are really funny. But um, I think that the conversation you and I got into is when you were like, yo, they just went to back to back. Yeah. World with, series in the last handful of years. Yeah. And they won a World Series. Their first World Series title in about 30-plus years. And all of a sudden now, their fan base is beside themselves. Yeah, they've had a, they have had a down season last year where they, did, where they lost 100 games, and this year it's shaping up to be similar like right. that. But the glow of a World Series, I think, should last for at least three, maybe four seasons, maybe even into five seasons, where – you you just kind of live in this in this bubble of nothing can hurt me. Well, and to be fair, even if you guys crash and burn the next couple years, um, you know, you still have the excitement of that. But for the most part, teams that go to a championship or teams that win the division, win the conference, um, do whatever in, in either football or or any sport are usually good the next couple of years. Like, it's rare to just suddenly drop off. Like, the reason the whole Sean McVay, you know, not just being a young coach, but it was that they went from being one of the worst teams to arguably the best team, if not one of the best. That's so incredibly rare. And so it's usually that success is, you know, sustained pretty easily. Or not sustained easily, but it is usually sustained. So it, I think what made this interesting to me was the way that we've talked about this exact same conversation with the Seahawks and the Mariners and Seahawks have just completely opposite stories. As far as that success goes, where the Mariners, the last time the Mariners were in the postseason, I'm turning 30 this year and I was in seventh grade. Yeah. I turned 28 today and I was 10 years old. It's wild. Yes. I hadn't been to Canada yet. No, like, <laughs> oh my goodness, that was such a formative moment in your life. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now you you are so I think are. So I think people that have watched uh, a team like the Mariners, or specifically the Mariners, with the longest playoff drought, I think they see that and they think, you know what, like, how many World Series or, or playoff games have the Red Sox been to in the time that the Mariners were last there. I mean, it's, I think people, it's not unusual for me to hear fans like make fun of like a Red Sox fan or even like a San Francisco Giants fan a couple years ago for being like, yeah, what are you complaining three. about? Right. But on the flip side, how many times have you, Jake, and, and me had a conversation about 
how long does the trust John and Pete mantra last? Oh, yeah. And that was, I mean, they went to, they were in a Super Bowl five years ago. Yes. They lost, but they were in it. Yeah. And I think maybe that Super Bowl loss, and especially with the way it happened, may have sped up that window of I think levying so. complaints but point against being a, that, a franchise. That they hadn't won uh, fewer than uh, 10 games since last year. You know what I mean? Like and they still had a winning record. And they still had a winning record. And, and they'd seen, you know, just unprecedented success for this franchise um, even after that Super Bowl loss. And I totally agree that I think that altered the direction of the team and the dynamics of the team uh, forever. I think this question of when can you start complaining about your team after having won a title is the reason why Patriots fans and Red Sox fans are as annoying as they are. Yeah. Because Patriots fans still complain probably more vocally than any organization in football because of deflate gate and spy. Do you think gate. it's like a super sweet 16 thing where sometimes the people that get the most are just the worst? I think so. I mean, I think I, so too. I've never lived in Boston, but I we'll have to ask Mora. Yeah. But it seems, it doesn't seem like a miserable existence. Of course, I would love to have rooted for a team that, has won six Super Bowls within a, you know a twenty year stretch, or four World Series titles the way the Red Sox have, throwing a, an NBA Finals and a Stanley Cup in there as well. But I think levying complaints right now when your team is still on top. I mean, you look at the Red Sox right now; they won the World Series last year, won one hundred eight games, one of the greatest teams of all time. This year they're three and eight. So here's my question: Can you complain at all? Like, if a Red Sox fan comes to you and says, well, I'm, ma- I'm mad at my team. Why can't I complain? Why do I just have to be okay with it? Because they won. It's a new season. I want to win again. Then what do you say to that? I'd say, dude, save it. Because it's been 18 years since the Mariners have made the postseason. You guys, the, the champagne is still drying from the Red Sox World Series championship. Today they just got their rings. Like, I'm sorry, but it's hard for me to find sympathy for Red Sox or Patriots or Yankees fans teams that are constantly winning. And also, I think the window is now open for, it is wide open for Seahawks fans to complain about the maybe the direction of the franchise if they're unhappy with it. I also think now Pete Carroll and John Schneider should not be immune from criticism. I think... So it, now are you saying that's gone on too long? The the Seahawks fans. The idea of, like, don't question this front Yes, that has gone on for too long. So this is the opposite issue. Yeah. I think two years ago when they finished 9-7, and when they had ample opportunity to get rid of certain players and and get as much draft capital and as much cap space as possible to really get things going again, I think that was a, a key moment in which the Seahawks did not look out for their best interest. They didn't look out for the interest of the fans. And they just kind of said, you know what, we're going to run it back one more time with all of these guys who have had their best years behind them. Let's see how it goes. And all of a sudden you had one of the most dysfunctional teams, Mm -hmm. maybe the most dysfunctional team. In 2015? Yeah. Last year. uh, You know what's the 2017 team. Okay. I was going to say, because what's wild about 2015 is when you look at Seattle stats, as a whole, 2015 statistically, outside of maybe their run game, was was it was Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin's strongest year. Obviously, yeah. they had that stretch, but but as a whole, that was the strongest Seahawks team. 
I just think it was the timing of it was when things were unraveling. Yeah. I don't know. It, I, I, I don't know, but I think that 2015 and 2016 season was a missed opportunity for the Seahawks to notice the unraveling and mm-hmm. to ravel it back together. No one ravels. We unravel. No one ravels. Well, and I think that when you have a lot of depth, you feel like you can take chances. And I think Pete Carroll talked about it himself. Um, or was it John Schneider? John Schneider talked about it with Brock and Salk um, earlier this month when he was talking about the depth. And it was like, we just don't have the depth that we used to have, is what he said. So I think that what happens when you're wildly successful in terms of – it wasn't like a, a Patriots, we have the GM, head coach, quarterback, and, and anyone else – it's that they were just stacked with so much talent that they had people that left and became starters on other teams. So they took chances. They did projects and they took risks with picks. Um, and then all of a sudden, after a couple you know, draft classes that didn't pan out the way 2012 did, you found yourself thin at quite a few positions. So I think it just it's almost like success can sometimes lead to a more a, a bigger likelihood of making mistakes sometimes. I don't think that, you know, the Seahawks I think the Seahawks found a lot of great players in recent drafts, Frank Clark and Tyler Lockett being two great examples. Um, we'll see what happens with Shaquille Griffin, but but there's a lot of talent there. Chris Carson, who was a seventh-round pick. They've, they haven't, you know, had a ton of missteps. But, again, you, me, and Jake could talk about forever. Because the thing is we get feedback. The minute we're talking about it, you look at the text line, and it's like, you guys don't question John and Pete. Or, and then they're also the people that are like, Yes, amen. Like it's finally time somebody has said something like this. Well, and I feel like too. Which those are a lot less than the. the if ones you're that. a reporter and not necessarily a fan, it's literally your job to say like, why are they making this decision? And, to and what question might this everything? Mean? Yeah. yeah, like it's you know like it's not my job to like root for a team. It's your no. job to kind of watch them and see what they do, and 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 it's okay to ask a question. It's Absolutely. okay. It's encouraged. Please do that. There we go. Coming up next, is there a young quarterback in the NFL you would take over paying Russell Wilson $100-plus million? Well, there is one person out there for Sports Illustrated who spotlights a specific quarterback, and it will get you scratching your head in ways you have never scratched before. That is coming up next, big <laughs> if true. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Ross, right here, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports at Night here with you for a few more moments. About a half hour left. Curtis Rogers and Stacy Rost. Quarterback Jake Heaps, he's, I believe it's, what is it, Hawaii where he's at? I is mean, he? I'm I so think annoyed. so. I mean, like we talked about earlier, it, the least he could do is take us with him. Honestly, it's like you don't even have to entertain us. We don't have to hang out with you guys. We can no. just stay at the hotel. Yeah. Um. But, I'm I mean, it's yeah. it's rude, in my opinion. Yeah. There's, a, not there's even, a pool we could yeah. lounge around. Yeah. I'm sure they've got a nice cable subscription there. I just there. feel like, what kind of coworker are you if you don't buy our tickets and hotel fare? Right. But okay. I mean... I mean this, as Earl Thomas once said, the disrespect it's has been, been noted. noted. Yeah. Curtis Rogers and Stacey Rost here uh, just wallowing because Jake didn't take us to Hawaii. But also, 
there's been a lot of conjecture on just every single side of this Russell Wilson contract discussion and, and debate, and is he worth the contract in which he's asking for, which I would say, yes, absolutely he is. This is just what the market has said he's worth. What's wrong with him chasing all of the coin that the NFL is going to dangle in front of him? Well, somebody out there, Andy Benoit, which, I mean. What if it's Benoit? Benoit, like Benoit Benjamin, former Seattle Supersonic. Right. I'm saying it's Benoit because that's a pretty, pretty, uh, what is it? Uh, Standard? No, that's a. Pretentious. That, pretentious kind of last name. Yeah. And his, his reasoning behind why he wouldn't pay Russell Wilson just comes off. As ridiculous. So, without further ado, let's give you tonight's big if true. This can't be happening. Big. You can't be serious, man. If did, did he, he say, say that? that? True. History is gonna change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious. Big if true tonight. Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated on his podcast uh, was asked if he would pay Russell Wilson kind of coin he's looking for and if not is there anybody else out there who you would be willing uh, to ride with well here is the quarterback he said he would ride with overpaying russell wilson the money he's looking for if you're factoring in price i am i am <laughs> without question i mean like I, I am doing jacoby especially if i can get something for russell wilson which we're going to dive into but if yeah. it's just even head to head jacoby Brissett for what 10 12 million a year maybe for the first couple years versus russell wilson at 30 plus million a year i'm taking jacoby Brissett and and i'm going home early because i didn't have to spend much time on that decision okay first question what even i know like, Jacoby Brissett hasn't my th- been good. No, and here's my thing. Uh, fun fact, Jacoby Brissett, part of that play, it's not a fun fact, but where Cliff Averill uh, suffered his career-ending Ooh, yeah. stinger. That's, yeah, that's It was not, because he hit his Sunday chin on Jacoby Brissett's ankle. Yeah. Against the Colts. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, same game where Chris Carson—I'm just going to get back to this. Here's my thing with, with Andy. I don't know how he is as a person. I've, I'm sure he's fine. I've had a bit of an issue— with, with Andy ever since he, as a professional that works in sports, not just a rando, but like a professional that works in sports, said that women's sports weren't really worth watching. Ooh. Right? Bad look, dude. It's one thing to think that. Like, I, I'm already going to see on the text line people being like, but I don't like them. What's the problem? There's no problem with that. Think whatever you want. But his job is to watch them. His job yeah, is to cover sports. Yeah, your job is to cover sports. Yeah. You work for a... a um, outlet that covers women's sports too so you're basically telling people not to like read products from your coworker. it's wild anyways I thought that was an issue but but after this I just feel like it's trying to have the hottest take and it's not even that I understand it's a complicated issues for the Seahawks to make or a decision for the Seahawks to make but to say that you can plug and play any quarterback into Seattle's offense I think puts too much of Russell Wilson's success on purely a physical abilities he has and b the abilities of his coaches, his offensive coordinator and head coach to to program that system and make it do what they want. And, and it completely takes out the decision making that a seven or eight year NFL vet who has been to playoff games, a Super Bowl, it it takes out the decision making that that he would make. And I think that that is 
is really belittling and dismissive. And I'm not saying that that there aren't plenty of things that go into the success of a quarterback, but to say that you could plug and play any player and and that play action in general is just this like easy thing is I think such an elementary understanding of football. And the only thing I respect about you after this is your eyebrows, which are charmingly asymmetrical. <laughs> the hottest takes hotter than talk the about wax. hot takes. His takes hotter than the wax that sculpts his eyebrows. Mm-hmm. But I I They're think that great is brows. I mean, I'm not. This isn't a dig at all. On fleek, would you say? Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that is a great point you brought up about people thinking that you can plug and play just about any quarterback here in Seattle and say, all right, go do what Russell Wilson does, and and they're going to be able to replicate his results. Like, Russell Wilson's efficiency is at a historic clip. Like, guys just don't walk off the street and come into any kind of NFL offense and be as efficient as what Russell Wilson has done his first eight seasons in his career. And if you think you can plug and play any quarterback into a system that leans on the run, you might as well argue that Blake Blake Bortles could have taken the Jags to the Super Bowl because that's essentially what that is. Pit in a game manager that can have flashes of brilliance uh, and who who can be cheap and then lean on the talent around him on defense and running backs, and we saw how far they got. Talking about Wilson and how he operates the offense, Benoit says – that Wilson simply doesn't operate the offense at a level that people think he does. I think it comes down to, is Russell Wilson operating your current offense better than Jacoby Brissett operating at a lower level on your new offense? Uh, and, and that's why I think Wilson is the more proven commodity. I, I, I would... And see, I, I don't think it, Wilson operates the offense at as high a level as people think. He's, he's played a while, so we assume he's a, a savvy veteran QB. I don't think he's that kind of QB. I mean, he led the league in touchdown passes, what was it, two seasons ago, playing for a run-first offense. And I don't even think – I don't know that he's wrong or right there, right? Like, I, I don't think that Russell Wilson is out here commanding an offense the way that uh, the reins were handed over to someone like uh, Peyton Manning. I don't – no, I don't think they have the same control and say in their offense. But I think that to assume that that the distance between what Wilson does and what a cheap rookie could do – is to underestimate that talent level. Like, it, again, there's not either you're Peyton Manning or you're everyone else. There, There is a different level of control that different quarterbacks have over their offense. I, I do think, and this is why the Seth Wickersham article was interesting to me, I do think that there's a lot of credit that that Wilson gets for this offense that, that can be shared with team, his teammates that isn't. And there's a lot of crit- criticism that's kind of the same thing. But... But that being said, I think to dismiss what he does as an all or nothing thing, like he's he's just as, you know, good or bad as Jacoby Brissett is I don't know. I just think that's lame. Like that's yeah. not a smart take. And I, I, I tweeted this out already, but I'm forever envious of just the the confidence to be able to have these takes. And I don't know if it's being a woman and wanting to make sure that I'm right and articulate a hundred percent of the time and that I always say the right thing and I never make anyone mad. But like just just the idea that you could come out and be like, I know everything. I know so much about football that, that I can be brazenly wrong about something and be and, fine about it. Yeah, and still go on with my day and not deal with any kind of public criticism. And to not understand that there's just there's layers to the complexity of an offense versus another offense, right? Like, no, no one's arguing that Russell Wilson isn't in an offense that is maybe easier to command. But why are you saying that for that reason anyone could do it? Yeah. If you're going to 
have a take like this, you better be right in it. Because if not, like you're you deserve your comeuppance because of it. And I I don't like it when people just say stuff like this for the for just saying it. And while Russell Wilson may not be as great as the numbers say he is, which I believe he is as great as the numbers say he is. I believe that the Seahawks are in possession of the greatest quarterback they will ever have in this organization because it's so difficult to replicate what he's done. Like saying you can plug and play anybody, which I would lump Jacoby Brissett into the category of anybody. Well, and to, to choose Jacoby Brissett is telling to me for a couple of reasons, but I won't get into them. I think I. Yeah. You think you got it? I think I picked up on. Yeah, why, you're picking up why, what I'm putting down. I think I picked up on why he. He labeled Jacoby Brissett specifically as a guy to to fill in for Russell Wilson. And, I mean, it's just, come on, pal. Come on, man. Yeah, that's a lame take. Yeah. You, you know do- what? Great eyebrows, bad takes. With great eyebrows come great responsibility. And that's the thing. You did not execute. No. You have to own it with those eyebrows. Yeah. You have to be strong and commanding. And you really drop the ball, Andy. Absolutely. You can't walk around with those brows. And then not command the respect they deserve. You're exactly. doing them a disservice. You can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. You can check out the Seattle Sports at Night podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. You can also download it at 710sports.com. Click on the podcast tab. Scroll down to Seattle Sports Tonight. It's all there for you every single episode. Every single hour of every single episode is there for you. Coming up next, Stacy and myself. We close out the night, as we always do, with another round of Ask Us Anything. Your text questions. The Coors Light text line is there for you. 710-710 is the number to text. We answer those next. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Ross, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. With you for just a couple more moments here on this Tuesday night, heading into a Wednesday morning. We'll be back with you tomorrow night once again following the Mariners-Royals game. In fact, we're with you uh, through Thursday as well. So uh, we'll be on from 7 to 9 on Thursday as the Mariners have a day game earlier in that one. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Rost, and as we do each and every time here on Seattle Sports tonight. We wrap up the show with your text questions. 710-710 on the Coors Light text line. Stacy, what are you seeing right now that's catching your eye? Besides eating cereal with water, what's the most outrageous eating sin, eating sin you've seen? Hmm, okay. I one time was at Subway, which you can get a really good depiction of who a person is based off of yes. the condiments and, and toppings agree. they put on their sandwich. Uh, one time I saw a guy order only a mayonnaise and bacon sandwich. That's it. <laughs> On bread. He got the, no. yeah, I believe it was uh, the the Italian bread, which is yeah. white bread there. And he got mayonnaise on it and bacon, and that was it. That's all he was had. Was it a lot of bacon and a it, lot of mayonnaise? It was a foot-long sandwich. Oh, God. Yeah. So a an what entire are you doing to your body an entire foot of mayonnaise went inside this man. Oh mayonnaise. god. Yeah. Mine is mayonnaise related too. This was actually trending on Twitter a while ago. It was someone putting mayonnaise on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like an Uncrustables. 
And I gagged. I'm not like I saw it and I was like, mm. I have no appetite at all. I just I hate mayonnaise. I hate seeing it on things. I hate when people add it to things. The only time I'm okay with mayonnaise is like an aioli or something like that. Yeah. Which, that's like, that's in that like case, I still use, mayonnaise. Yes. I only, I like fancy mayonnaise. And in that case, I even only like a little bit of it. And I just, I never want to see any mayonnaise put onto anything that truly doesn't need it. I would say anything with um, too much of a like heavy sauce. So like you'll see that at Subway sometimes too, would be like, if you ever put like mayonnaise and like a mustard or ketchup or uh, barbecue sauce, like when it starts to be like the sauces you're putting on have some weight yeah, to them, like you know what I mean? Heaviness. When too. you have anytime you have way more sauce than you do whatever else, you get it's lost disgusting. in the sauce. Disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And when this it, isn't when the it's good like kind of dripping like out too onto much sauce. the paper. Yeah. Yeah, not good. It's so gross. Uh, from the four two five, what is the key to making a really good salad? Uh, a really good salad? Yeah. Oh. Oh, I think mixing up the texture. So, like, don't just get all, you know, like, soft vegetables. You need to get some... Some, uh, some crunch in there. Get some crunch in there. It doesn't have to be a crouton. I use sunflower seeds and uh, cauliflower that I cook up and stir fry. I went to a restaurant one time that added goldfish crackers instead of... Uh, I'm not mad at that. Yeah, instead of croutons, which at, at face value is kind of like, what? Yeah. What is this? Like, this is something like I would do. Like, this is a college kind of food, right? See, I yeah. But turned out to be pretty pretty dank. I mean, it's basically a. It's like a cheesy crouton. I think yeah. I think adding some crunch is is key, and it depends if I want a bad salad or a good salad. If I want like a really good Caesar salad that's like ten thousand million calories, then I want like croutons, cheese. Yeah. dressing and and just that's pretty much it that's all you need but like a healthier salad you got to mix it up a little bit what kind of what kind of lettuce are you going with uh i go for a mixed green i like an arugula i can't do just spinach i hate spinach i, I don't have to, mind i have to hide salads. it from myself i also fan of romaine big fan of romaine although didn't they just have a recall of that a, a few months ago but we're better now we, yeah, we're, we're back. fine. We're back on track. Back, back in the romaine game, like we never left. Exactly. Like that's how you want to. That's how you want to do it mm-hmm. in the salad game. What else are you seeing out there, Stacey? Um, what's the strangest thing you've witnessed that you can't explain to this day? I don't know about that. Ooh. That sounds like someone who like you saw someone hide a body. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know oh, what. Man. I don't know what you have in mind. Let's I want to respond down. back and be like, "Yo, what did you see, dude?" What's going down. I don't. Mm, I don't know about that. Strangest thing I've witnessed that I can't explain. What about? Has there ever been something you saw um, on the sideline or you passed quickly and you thought like, "I need to know what happened there," and it just you never found out. So one time I was learning how to drive, and the car in front of me stopped quickly and i swerved out of the way yeah and then like three seconds later all i hear is like a like a collision noise and i wonder like was that because i got out of the way in time this was like this was like 12 years ago 13 years ago i have no idea you thought if i didn't move would i have been hit or yeah. you think was this my fault yeah exactly <gasps> like was it because i got out of the way did the car behind me oh my god just keep going into the car that was in front of me like that is one thing i was like i wonder what what that was all about because i heard like a 
Ooh, noise. Gosh. I don't know. You what... know what? Car crashes are really loud. One happened outside my house once, and I thought that it was right outside my bedroom window, which is facing the other side of the house. Uh-huh. And it was like in the street across from us. It it echoed everywhere. It was a bad one, though. That's sad. Do you have one? Because I have another one. Uh, Let's see here. I don't have one right now. What do you got? I just scrolled past it, but hang on, I can't find it again. It was basically what's something uh, that your generation will always understand that people of another generation won't ever be able to get or use. VCRs. Yeah, that's a good I think one. that's I think something. a lot of ours will revolve around technology. Yeah, because like playing Snake on your Nokia What about even phone? little things like notes? Ooh, passing passing notes, notes in class. That, I don't think the, kids are going to do that the anymore. The text message game absolutely changed the yes. note passing game. And then there was also like the I little... would keep my notes. Like I had note. Like all my friends, I had them in like a plastic bin. You tried to fold it fancy ways. Oh, I still know how to do that. A couple of times, like my buddies and I would try to like swat notes down to the ground if we saw them getting passed. Yeah. Just Dikembe Mutombo <laughs> out there just... And then, like, you got to see this person, like, get up out of their chair and, like, go get it. And it's just like, we know you're passing notes. But, like, we were guilty of it all the same. Yeah, I think my mom would So that's us because we're in our late 20s. Now you are. And so it's probably going to be. It's just going to be something where where kids don't understand. Because we know how to use technology. We have it all. But we didn't when we were young. And so it's, it's a bit different. For my mom, it would probably be something like, the same thing with technology, but instead it's that everything is just more closely watched and careful and you just don't get away with stuff that you used to. So like she worked at a drive through when she was a teenager and they would like trade stuff for food. <laughs> like if you came out with like some different food, they would like swap and it's like no one knows. There's no cameras. I think one thing from generations older than us that nobody nowadays would understand is hitchhiking. No one right. does that right well, now. Because now you're like, why would you ever do this ever in your life? Yeah. I heard a horrific hitchhiking story, and I thought, why would you ever do this? But it's only because now we think of stories like this. But when this person was doing it, it wasn't a big deal. And it was this woman who was hitchhiking and got both of her arms cut off What? by someone who kidnapped her. What? She lived. Oh she lived, God. and she went to a trial against him, and, and I'm sure she's like, thriving and fine but i mean horrific stories didn't exist like stuff like hitchhiking being out at night oh kids being out at night yeah that's, pat, i'm already like, seeing it right now that's another one that people I yeah mean, me a little bit but people like in the 80s and 70s it was not weird to let your kid walk home from school by by himself yeah it wasn't weird play to have at them night play outside out. yeah once the street lights were on like you could still play outside but now once those streetlights are on, you're back inside. Well, and I, yeah, I don't really think that's people being paranoid. I think it's just the knowledge of stuff that happens. Yeah. Like, people didn't think that that stuff used to happen. We got dark. Let's do a lighter question. Stay safe out there. Yeah, let's find a lighter question here to, to, to wrap up the night. Yeah, if you're out there playing outside right now at this hour of the day, get inside. Get inside, children. <laughs> Did you ever think you had a superpower as a kid? Did I ever think I had a superpower as a kid? That's coming to us from the 360. Uh, I thought if I like kind of swung my arms as I ran, mm-hmm. that would make me go faster. Oh, so you're a loser. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I um I didn't actually think I had a power, but I remember watching Matilda and thinking that if I read enough that I would have powers like she does. And I used to just stare at, you know, when you stare really hard at something and you're like, what if I make it move? What if I make it move? And I would stare. 
stare for like 10 minutes at something. It's never happened yet. Oh, yeah. There's still a possibility. <laughs> yet. Maybe we'll find out by tomorrow because that's going to do it for us here tonight. We'll be back with you following the Mariners postgame show tomorrow night for Stacy Rost. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.